I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of my favorite actors, film and television and stage, is Ed Harris. Now, you may not get that name right off, but if you saw his face, if we had his face on the screen, you'd probably say, oh, it's that guy who played that part in that movie. I wonder who that is. Ed Harris's career has been as what used to be called a character actor, meaning he, he rarely, rarely played the lead, but he played an important part in moving the story along. And sometimes the character actor appears in the first act to set things up, and sometimes the character actor appears in the second act to cause the problem that propels the story forward. Now, right now, Ed Harris is playing Atticus Finch in, in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, so he's in a lead role. But I paid more attention to him when I discovered he's a Presbyterian, so that, uh, that really helped, uh, helped me. But occasionally you'll see in the, the newspaper, in the entertainment section, a picture, and it'll be, oh, that's that guy who played that part, or that woman who played that part in that movie. And then you read the headline, and the, it's usually an obituary. And, and oh, yes, yes, they, they were acting, they were, they were performing for 50 years, and were, and were never stars. Well, Joseph, get second or third billing in the Christmas story. We don't know very much about Joseph, do we? We know that, that at least during the time Jesus was growing up, Joseph was a carpenter. But a carpenter in those times isn't somebody who has a nice clean shop and takes, takes commissions to do fine woodworking. This was somebody who had to work with his hands. Very often a carpenter worked with his hands because he was too poor to rent land to farm on. And so there was not much for him to do where his own people lived, but there were always Romans around who were building themselves fine houses, and so there was work to be done. But again, that is all guesswork. And there have been legends developed that fill in Joseph's life. But really, the purpose of those legends is to support doctrines about Mary. They really don't have anything to do with Joseph. So a very common legend is that Joseph was an old man. There was some, some reason that Mary's parents couldn't marry, marry her off to somebody her own age, maybe because she was too spiritual, too lofty-minded. So Joseph is often portrayed as an old man, which, which means two things. He's not really interested to, in her in the way a young man would be, so she stays a virgin all her life. Second is that he dies, conveniently dies early in the story, so it can be all about Mary. That's the reason for those legends. And we know that by the time of the early church in Jerusalem, Mary was honored among the widows as the mother of Jesus. But Joseph's life in between is a mystery to us. So we look at Matthew chapter 1, and we meet Joseph, and he's called a righteous man. And he receives a word from God, and Matthew doubles it up by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And maybe we can get some insight into Joseph by looking at our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah. And, and uh, someone said to me this morning, 
after hearing Isaiah chapter 7 read. This time of year, we always hear words from Handel's Messiah every Sunday. Why, why is that? Well, we read from Isaiah chapter 7. And in that context, the king of Judah is a man called Ahaz. And Ahaz tries very hard to do the right thing, but he really doesn't have much of a backbone. And so he, he, he really grates on the prophet Isaiah's nerves. And, you know, at one point, in fact, Ahaz just gives up and turns his face to the wall and begs to be killed. He wants God to take him, take him now. That's Ahaz. So on this occasion, God says through the prophet Isaiah, ask for a sign. And Ahaz won't ask for a sign. Why? Because the law says you don't put the Lord your God to the test. So Ahaz is going to uphold the law. And then Isaiah says, is, is it enough for you to wear on my patience? But you're wearing on his patience too. So God's going to give you a sign anyway. In this desperate time, this time when the people are living in fear and their, their king is projecting fear all over the place, in this time when, when no person would would have any hope and certainly wouldn't expand their family with another child in this uncertainty. Look, a young woman is with child and will bear a son. And the young woman is the king's wife. And the son is born, named Emmanuel, to be what children who were born in the time of the prophet Isaiah always turn out to be, messages from God. So in this time of desperation, of darkness, with a king who is not living up to his name, his title, or his ancestry, God says a child will be born, and by the time that child is weaned and, and walks under his own steam and knows right from wrong, the enemies you fear will be gone. So these are the words Matthew takes and puts at the end of Joseph's little episode. Now, let's think of Joseph. Joseph is called a righteous man. That's a tzaddik in Hebrew. And to be a tzaddik, well, the great rabbi Maimonides said, a tzaddik, a righteous one, is someone whose merit outweighs their sin. But it's, it's not a status you can earn. Yes, you live that life, which means you strive to follow the law, but you don't earn it. The title is conferred upon you by your community. They observe it in you. But God makes you the righteous person. And then later on in the tradition of the tzaddik, it was often said that the tzaddik is the one whose first desire is to seek and do God's will and puts that before his own desires. You wonder where Jesus got the example that led him to say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. But Joseph knows that he must obey the law. He's got to follow the rules and not just the laws of God and Moses, but the social rules too. Because in an honor-shame society like first century Palestine, maintaining your status in the community and the esteem of people around you is absolutely important. And so, when you've already signed the marriage contract with the fiancé's parents, when the date's been set, the plans are made, 
under the law and under social custom, you're already as good as married. And now Matthew says from the very beginning that Mary's with child by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that. All he knows is that his fiancée, this young woman, is pregnant. That's all he knows. And by the rules and mores of the society, that's, that is an offense against him. So what can he do to preserve his honor and his status in society? He's got to get rid of her. He wants to do it quietly. He's got to send her away somehow before the elders of the community can pass judgment and maybe stone her to death, but at very least humiliate her and toss her out of the community very publicly. Joseph wants to do it in, in the quietest, simplest way possible. And so he decides to do this, and he puts his head down on his pillow, and he hears this voice. Now, now here's a hint at the relationship that Joseph has with God, because this is the first of three crucial times when Joseph receives instructions, an angel's voice in a dream. Joseph is the one who receives instructions to go to Egypt after Jesus is born to escape Herod. Joseph is the one who gets the message when it's safe to come home from Egypt and go up north to Nazareth. So this is a man who is in a particular relationship with God, but God has to move and speak to show him that doing the right thing according to the law and according to social expectations, customs and conventions, is the wrong thing. That the right thing to do, the thing to do that cooperates with God, is the loving thing. Now, in Luke's gospel, Mary gets a chance to establish her partnership with God by saying yes to the angel Gabriel. In Joseph's case, there's no pause, no question, no response, except obedience. I like to think this is my Joseph legend, that however long Joseph was a part of Jesus' life, he was an example of what it was to be a righteous person, to put God's kingdom first, to seek and know God's will and to do it lovingly, and to respond to God's call, even if it's to do something completely crazy and very risky, as risky as maintaining the engagement and eventually marrying Mary and raising the child as his own. This is a good man. This is someone who raised Jesus with a different understanding of righteousness than the religious teachers all around him. But it all boils down to this, whether it's the sign that Ahaz received, though he didn't want one, and the sign that Matthew announces in taking those words from Isaiah, that what it boils down to is the good news of Emmanuel, that God is with us. Yesterday, as we were, we were driving across Guelph, a car pulled up alongside us, and 
you know how cars have crests and stickers and so on on the back of them. This one had one that said atheist on board. Not, not baby on board, nor, and it wasn't a Christian symbol. And we know there are people who simply don't believe that there is any God to, to be with us. Some of them are more aggressive than Christians in sharing their beliefs. But maybe we should learn from them. But there are also a lot of people who believe that God is with us, but God is against us. That is a very basic human religious impulse, that God is somehow beyond us, all-powerful, and has a grudge against us, and so during our lives we have to prove to God that God shouldn't be mad at us. And maybe when we come to the end of our lives, it'll, it'll all work out. It'll, it'll even out, and God will say, yeah, okay, come on, come inside. We know there are people who are struggling to hold on to faith and mostly because they don't have other people coming to them to show them that God is with them, that they really wonder if God is with them or for them. Some people today are, are <clears throat> trying very hard to grasp that last thread of assurance when all they need is the face of someone who loves them as God loves them. And we, we come into the Christmas season and we have the wonderful story from Luke or maybe the stories of Luke and Matthew mashed together. You know how the, in, the, in, in the Christmas pageant the, the wise men usually stumble in right behind the shepherds. And, and so we mash them together. And we, we love those stories. We don't understand them, but we leave them in the realm of mystery and we love them. And there are others who say, oh, gee, I can't believe that, but I'll sit through it for another Christmas. doesn't matter because... The message underneath it all, that Jesus came to be a sacrament and sign, is the good news that God is with us and all the world. Us is all the world. Us isn't just us. God is with us. The simple message that can be so hard to sustain, but is a lot easier when we hold on to it together. And as the Apostle Paul later wrote to the Romans, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's Emmanuel. And I like to think that that is something that from an early age, Joseph taught his son. Glory to God. <clears throat>